and welcome to this service of remembrance at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. Like so many other things this year, our usual service of remembrance is unable to go ahead. There'll be no parade of uniformed organisations, no gathering of the community, not even a small act of remembrance as representatives lay wreaths here at the War Memorial in the new cemetery. Instead, we have to find new ways, other ways, different ways to mark this important moment. Around the village there are displays of poppies created by local people as part of the Brighter Village project, members of the Trust Jack Foundation and St Ninian's Church. I'd encourage you, if you're able, to visit these displays and take a moment to reflect. We'll observe two-minute silence as part of this service today and on the 11th of November at 11am I'd encourage you to stop wherever you are, to stand on your doorstep if you're at home and to keep the silence. The church bells will chime 11 times at 11am and then again at 11.02 to bring the silence to an end. What does God require of you? On this day of all days as we remember men and women who gave their everything for us, we pause to honour their memory and to give thanks. What does God require of you on this day of all days as we come seeking peace for all in a world that cries out for it? We come seeking to love the unloved and to live humbly with our Lord. What does God require of you on this day of all days? We come to him in worship and praise. So let's worship the God of love and peace.
Lord, are we ready? Can we be quiet and still as we remember? But what is it that we remember? We remember the lives lost in battle and bombings and hospital beds and trenches. We remember the bravery of the young men who went off to war who were not ready for the horrors that they faced. We remember the women and children left behind having to get ready for air raids and rationing. We remember those industries getting ready for war, for the making of munitions and battle armour and uniforms. We remember the leaders getting ready for the biggest battle of their lives, taking risks and making decisions that would affect millions of lives. We remember that those who fought, fought for peace, a peace they hoped would last forever, lie here. We remember that now it's our turn to get ready. Ready to remember the sacrifices of those who have gone before us and those who still fight for peace today. We pause to remember, for we must never forget. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them.
Roddy Hamilton wrote these words. It's no longer just about remembering the names. Names are easy. Names can be recited even if there's so many of them. This remembrance is no longer about remembering names, but remembering the future, the promised future that came packaged with a label, never again. It was from a horror of war that poppies grew, that names were remembered. The red poppy, and let's name it, is bloody horror. And it's worn to remind us never again. It's a declaration of hope that war should never happen again. And yet the poppy often feels like it sanitises war, makes it respectable and full of honour and respect and glory. And yet the poppy is meant to say otherwise, to remind us to remember the inhumanity, the horror and the pain. And as we wear our poppies of red, to say never again. Today we hear from the prophet Amos. We read at chapter 5, verses 18 to 24, and Mira is going to read for us. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The book of Amos is one of my favourites. Amos is so grumpy, but then there's a lot for him to be grumpy about. Amos is a prophet, and this short book found in what we call the Old Testament is actually one of the oldest, if not the oldest book in the Bible. So grumpy prophets have been around for a very long time. The job of a prophet isn't to tell the future, at least not in a fortune teller kind of a way. The job of a prophet is to tell the truth, especially to those in power. The role is to point out what's happening here and now and what that will lead to if nothing is done about it. Speaking truth to power can be difficult. Powerful people or institutions don't like being criticised. They like it even less when the person doing the criticising seems, well, less than qualified. In Amos's day, there were schools of prophets, groups who would follow a teacher and learn from them, and one day, when they'd finished their apprenticeship, they would take up the role of being a prophet themselves. But Amos was a shepherd who grew figs. He wasn't from a school of prophets. He wasn't defending a tradition or a particular point of view. He stood alone with no vested interest, nothing to protect and little to lose. The people of his time thought that things were tough, but that they would get better. The Assyrians were a problem. They kept raiding the borders and threatening war. But the year of Jubilee was coming. Israel wasn't like other countries. The land had been shared out among the, the tribes and every 75 years was the year of Jubilee. That was when they kind of pressed the reset button and everything went back to its original owners and debts were forgiven. It was a kind of way of ensuring that, that people couldn't buy up all the land and become too rich. But it also made sure that people didn't remain poor. 
They'd come to call it the day of the Lord, the day when everything would be right, mostly because the whole community would follow the rules, the commandments God had given them, given to their ancestors. When that happened, everything would be good and all the problems would be over. Have you ever wished for something? But not really. You know, when you want something to change, but you haven't quite thought through all the consequences, Amos points out their problem. This isn't going to be like you think it is. But why? Why would the day of the Lord be bad news? That doesn't make much sense. The people had been busy just getting on with their lives, just doing their thing. And part of their thing was worshipping God. Over the years, they had developed a range of festivals and feasts throughout the year. And they had songs to sing and music to play and sacrifices to offer. They looked forward to the festivals. Each one had its own characteristics. The one for harvest, they would gather everything together and feast on the things that they'd grown. The one for new year, they would gather everything together and feast and look back and look forward to what's to come. The one for celebrating their own beginning as a people celebrating their independence from Egypt, their escape from slavery, had stories to tell and songs to sing. The festivals weren't a problem. There were good reasons to give thanks throughout the year. The festival should have been a reminder to the people about where good things come from and and who had been their help in times that were tough. The problem was that the festivals had become empty gestures. They'd lost their meaning. They'd become just another excuse to have a feast. The bit about thanking God was, well, just something they had to get through before the party. And as time passes, the focus moves further and further away from the thing that the festival was supposed to be about and has become about something else, something less. So how would that look for us? Perhaps it would look like putting your Christmas tree up a month early. It'll look nice, but it's not going to solve any of your problems. It's not going to make you less lonely. And bankrupting yourself buying presents for everyone Well, that's not going to spread real joy and hope. Eating lots of chocolate at Easter, that's not going to bring about new life to anyone. Wearing a poppy for a couple of weeks in November, that's not going to bring an end to war. It's not going to support the members of the armed forces and their families who need their help every single day of the year. It's not going to help people caught up in conflicts that are not of their own making or make things better for people whose lives have been devastated by arms made here in the UK. The problem Amos points out to the people is the same problem we all get trapped in. We're the ones that think we're right. It's the others, everybody else, they're the ones that are wrong. So for the people who were desperate for the year of Jubilee because they wanted their debts forgiven and their land back, Amos reminds them that, well, they were also people who other people owed money to, or people who had some kind of power over their neighbours or friends. But that's not how we see ourselves. We see ourselves as small and insignificant, low down in the scheme of things. So come the day of Jubilee, the revolution, come the day when everything will change and it will all be fairer and better, we imagine that we'll be the ones who gain. It'll be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to be bitten by a snake. Be careful what you wish for, says Amos. It might be 
that we are the ones who have much to lose. Even though for most of us, you know, we're not rich. Some of us might even be categorized as poor. We're much better off than some of the people around the world who lived in less than a pound a day, who endure famine and drought. And even though we live in these uncertain times, our experience is nothing compared to the people of Yemen or South Sudan. Why is it that we think justice and righteousness will be a world where everything will be just as we think it will be, where our beliefs and opinions will be confirmed and everyone will be just like us? Because we do. And the people of Amos' time thought the same thing. So here we are in the middle of one of the strangest times, rightly worried about the problems we face or in complete denial that there's any problem at all. Concerned about our families and our neighbours, our news filled with stories about here and about an election somewhere else, but with little reporting from the poorest places, where social distancing is all but impossible and running water to wash your hands is a far-off dream. As we stand in silence, as these poppies are brought out for another moment of remembrance, I wonder if Amos's warning is even more urgent today than it's ever been before. You want the day of the Lord? Really? Or do we want all our hopes to be fulfilled? Our own prejudices to be confirmed? Our own view of the world to be imposed on everyone else? Because that's not what the day of the Lord looks like. We stand in silence and we say words about peace and we stoke conflicts in our own lives and with others near and far. We stand in silence and say words about lessons learned where we blunder around making the same old mistakes over and over again, scapegoating and blaming, hoarding and separating, thinking that we're different or better, or that the problem is everyone else, if they would only just realise. We stand in silence and we pin on our poppies and we think about the sacrifice of men and women sent to the most horrific conditions to die alone and afraid, and we dress that up as glory and honour and victory and national pride, while at the same time we complain about wearing a mask to help our neighbours. What on earth have we become? Who on earth have we become? How far away from justice and righteousness have we strayed? Or far from an overflowing stream? Sometimes it's less than a trickle, as we pay billions for nuclear weapons and leave children to go hungry. Sometimes it's less than a drip as we consign people to unemployment to keep the deficit down, as governments spend millions on projects that are little more than vanity. Sometimes it almost dries up as we put profit before well-being, position before alleviating poverty, power before the good of those with the least. But it's not too late. It's never too late we have to do all the work, the hard work, the difficult work of figuring out what justice and righteousness really look like. Righteousness is, it just means right living. And right living involves kindness and compassion and mercy. It's about loving God and loving our neighbour. It's about living out what we've come to know as the Beatitudes, where the poor and the bereaved and the humble and the sick are blessed, alongside those who stand up for others, who work to make peace and to end the reasons for conflict. It's up to us to work out what that looks like in our time and our place. It's not just enough to pin on a poppy and stand silent for a couple of minutes once a year. How does that honour the sacrifice that's been made? 
Empty words and empty gestures have never made the world a better place. For justice to roll on like a a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream, we need to look beyond ourselves to see the need of our neighbour, both the ones next door and the ones in far-off places, because our choices impact their lives too. Blessed are those who stay indoors, for they have protected others. Blessed are the unemployed and the self-employed, for their need of God is great. Blessed are the corner shopkeepers, for they are the purveyors of scarce things. Blessed are the delivery drivers and the postal workers, for they are the bringers of essential things. Blessed are the hospital workers, the ambulance crews, the doctors, the nurses, the care assistants and the cleaners, for they stand between us and the grave and the kingdom of heaven is surely theirs. Blessed are the checkout workers, for they have patience and fortitude in the face of overwork and frustration. Blessed are the refuse collectors, for they will see God despite the mountains of waste. Blessed are the teachers, for they remain steadfast and constant in disturbing times. Blessed are the church workers, the deacons, priests and bishops, for they are a comforting presence in a hurting world as they continue to signpost towards God. Blessed are the single parents, for they are coping alone with their responsibilities and there is no respite. Blessed are those who are alone For they are children of God, and with him they will never be lonely. Blessed are the bereaved, for whom the worst has already happened. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are isolated with their abusers. For one day, we pray, they will know safety. Blessed are all during this time who have pure hearts all who still hunger and thirst for justice, all who work for peace and who model mercy. May you know comfort, may you know calm, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God of peace and God of justice, On a day of remembrance, we bring to mind all those who serve our nation. For those in the armed forces who around the world put their lives at risk. For those in positions of leadership who have choices to make and whom we look to for guidance. For those in healthcare and social care who tend to those who need support. For those in education who prefer us and wear our lives. For those protecting us. From police to fire services, paramedics to security, We give thanks for them all and so many others, for their work and commitment. May they remain vigilant and dedicated, keen to serve others and make this world a more just, a more peaceful, a healthier place to live. God of all being and God of coming, we recognise you at work in in the here and now and at work to bring about the future. We know you look to us to strive and yearn towards the coming days 
that we can be part of a world that seeks to heal and not stoke division, that seeks to build bridges of care and support, that seeks to lift up the poor and the disadvantaged, that seeks to bring about your kingdom, one action, one word at a time. God of love and God of expectation, we pray for all people who feel lost and abandoned, who feel they have no value, who feel the pressure of financial loss, job loss and loss of purpose. May they know your love and experience your support through communi communities that care and reach out to help. Be with us, Lord God, that we might be your eyes and ears, your hands and feet, your heart and soul. Whenever we find needs, in your name we pray. Amen. Every Father, our Father, our Father, art in heaven. Hallowed be thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.
This year we've learned not to take things for granted. We've all been and continue to be part of something quite extraordinary. But through it all, God has been with us. Jesus has wept with us and the Spirit has inspired us as they always do. So be blessed this week as we leave our time together. Go with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit with you this day and evermore. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you.